What's that smell? Gang reflex vintage denims from Tell me whatever you need Can to I tell me. Tell you something before we start. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, do you know what is being delivered to my house? What? Something that I think would officially be John Kellogg's ultimate nightmare. Oh God! Is it peeps? Is, is it a bunch no. of peeps? <laughs> no, but it is an outdoor pizza oven. <gasps> oh, is this from the thing? I'm so excited! Take photos. <laughs> Yes, the joy mode thing. Okay, listeners, if Jesse doesn't cut this, joy mode, <laughs> joy mode does not pay us anyway. Nobody pays us in any way. But, but they are welcome to pay us if they would like. We great, welcome that. We would love it. Uh, so joy mode is a new service in LA, new-ish service. I feel like they've been around for like a year. Um, you can sign up. It's like $29 a month. And then every week of the month, they will send you one free quote unquote bundle and they will deliver it to your house on a like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they'll pick it up from you on a Sunday, Monday or Tuesday. Depend So you can have something like for almost the whole week, basically Thursday through Tuesday if you wanted to. And there are all sorts of bundles of like crazy shit that you wouldn't buy, but it's fun to fuck around with for a weekend. You know, you there's one that's got giant games. I want a well, fucking giant Connect Four. Well, you know so, what I really want is a giant operation. Oh, you know who would love that is John Harvey Kellogg would love a giant operation he because he, he was wanted, really into electroshock therapy. He, he listen, he was insane. Anyway, we that's ex- the giant games is actually why we signed up so that I could get giant games for our Temple's Purim Carnival. That's oh the, God! Like the Jewiest thing. Jewy Jewson, holy God. God! I legit looked for a bargain for a Purim carnival. Like this is the <laughs> Jewiest thing. You're really leaning into yourself there. Oh, you I told no you idea. about that time when we went. We, where were we going? Were we going to L.A. or back from? We were taking a very long road trip. That's all I remember. And we were in a small town in Middle America, uh-huh. and. I had to pee super badly. We drove around until we found the tiniest of stores. As I was leaving the bathroom, there was, I want to say a dime, maybe. Maybe it was a penny on the floor. No. (laughs) You can't pick it up in front of the goys. I was like, is this a test? I don't even know. I just closed my, I was like, I can't do it. Just don't do it, Baden. Just walk away. I didn't. I felt, I feel guilt still to this day that I didn't pick it up. But I was like, listen, if the Lord is testing me right now, this is a fucking honey trap and I can't go for it. I know. I know. But it's so ingrained. Like my grandmother used to say to me, and it had nothing to do with being Jewish and it had everything to do with being poor, right? Which means somebody who doesn't pick up a penny isn't worth a penny. I agree with that. I agree with it too. But. Not in front of the Goyim. No. Not in front of the Goyim. Don't ever let him see a sweat, girl. You know, there was a kid in my... I'm now just remembering. There was a kid in my ninth grade class. I've brought up some PTSD here, I feel. Yeah, that the sec... Like, I... We were in the hallway and I bent at school and I bent down to pick up a quarter that was on the ground. And he looked at me and he was like, of course you would. (gasps) And at the time, what? Like, yeah, and at the time, I didn't get it. And I remember, like, another friend explaining to me, like, what had just happened. Because, like, 
look, you live a little bit isolated from American culture about Jews as an Israeli, right? Like if you, like to me growing up anti-Semitic, and I, I lived in fucking big cities, right? We lived in Chicago, in LA, right? Like yeah. my, my years in small no, no, town those are big. life were when I was a kid and nobody, right. like my, I was young enough that kids didn't have opinions about what it meant to be Jewish, but like, right. I, my my baseline for what was anti-Semitism was like the Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like somebody like that's, wasn't trying to like. That's really me. going from zero to ninety. <laughs> it reminds me actually of like Republicans today, where they're like they keep upping the ante for what a crime the president could commit is. Right. They that's what I feel like is what's happening now. It's exactly. fucking banana boats exactly. i don't get it at all why like, are like thinking back to what the fuck watergate was right like or like we were at watergate like 75 infractions ago or like they impeached clinton for lying about a blowjob <laughs> who in our life has not lied about a blowjob who in our life has not and also my like, god look it a lot of us have revised our opinion of bill clinton i should hope and yes the, we should stop calling it the monica Lewinsky scandal the bill clinton that's exactly you know, right sexual harassment scandal but like nevertheless this is what we impeached him for and now whatever we don't have to get into it michael cohen testified today i want my like sixteen thousand hours back nobody at my work got anything done today well of course they didn't All of it's us were the watching. it's the trial of the century <laughs> all right well i'm glad that we had that giant preface this is just, so i've been holding on to this all day waiting to talk to you oh you had to do a lot of reading for this episode didn't you okay this was like you i feel like i can't complain about this because no no you can't but i want to hear it anyway <laughs> Because I complained to you for 30 seconds that this was like the hardest book report ever. And you were like, this is what I do every time. Every fucking episode. But I would like to note, like, this is what you, this was the role you signed up for in this (laughs) podcast. And I did not. I signed up for digging through disgusting cookbooks, which is like, that's my, but this, so, so uh, what I have is the hygienic cookbook by John H. Kellogg, and it's, oh, it's God. actually it sounds racist in its title alone. I love it. All right, it's a reproduction of his original cookbook that was. Why did I never do this? Why do I never look? That was published in 1876. So this is like old school. And yes. You know what I found out? Do you know who it was reprinted by? And it's reprinted in facsimile, so it's like photocopies of the original I'm <laughs> fantastic this was reprinted by the american antiquarian cookbook collection what a that's project, a thing which was a project of the um, of the antiquarian society of worcester massachusetts that sounds like is, a such a fantastic group that i, I want to be a part of well but what kills me is i so i went to college and grad school in worcester massachusetts which is a there's really no reason for anybody to go there unless they're going to the truly excellent universities in the city and there's no Or the Antiquarian there. Society. Or apparently the fucking Antiquarian Society, which like That's I right. knew there was an Antiquarian Society. What I didn't know is that they had a bunch of old trash cookbooks that I could have been digging through this whole fucking time. Oh my god, you know they served the best snacks, I bet. But you had to probably eat them in another room so that you didn't you get think? anything on the papers. I don't think I feel snacks. like <laughs> 
I feel like they were. I think they had canapes. I think that they were probably real, real waspy about their hospitality. Really, I feel like even the wasps don't they? They have a cheese spread, don't they? No, like you were there to study and whatever. We shouldn't cast dispersions on the Worcester Antiquarian Society. We know nothing about them. Here's what I want to say about this cookbook before we start. Look at I know little about John Kellogg. I did watch that movie about him like several years ago and I barely remember it. Are you talking about the road to Wellville? Yes. Okay. I barely remember it. I remember something about like no one being allowed to masturbate. Anyway. Oh yes. Oh yes. Okay. So uh, the one thing that I want to say before we get started because I know I know like nothing about whatever it is you're going to tell me about John Kellogg. Tell us about John Kellogg. Is this book reads as if you took Adolf Hitler's eventual like mind like <laughs> racial no his like racial purity platform uh-huh, uh-huh. and applied it to food. Well, it, <laughs> not people. As like, you will find, as you will anybody. find later, you do. He does apply it to people as well. Oh, but all right, yeah. I'm really, I'm honestly not surprised. Like he, and I, I gotta go read some Gwyneth Paltrow cookbooks. But this reads. <sighs> I feel like a lot of people in Los Angeles right now mm-hmm. would be deeply convinced by this philosophy. I 100% agree, which is why I have decided to entitle this episode. Before there was Goop, there was Kellogg. Correct. Before you know, there was Goop, there was Kellogg. There is such a fine line between the Victorian hygienic insanity that is happening in with this man and putting a jade egg up your vagina, like, the line is blurry as fuck. And he, he has some really choice words for people, for, like, for things like bread and yeast and vinegars. <laughs> like, his insults are better than... It's like it's, Shakespearean, isn't worse, it? They're better than Shakespeare insults. He so he says old cheese is one of the most injurious of dietetic abominations. Wow. I don't remember what he called this, but he called something a hydra-headed malady. <laughs> I think he called yeast scrofulous scavengers. It was amazing. I don't even know what that means. What does scrofulous that, mean? I don't know. Well, let me tell you something. I think that we're going to learn a lot of d- new lexicon because called, I learned a couple of things myself and I'm excited regular, to share with you. He called regular cooking like with flour and sugar and butter and shit a black art. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. That is wonderful and makes me want to be a better cook. That <laughs> makes me want to delve into the black arts even more okay. so. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to hate him as much as I hated Campbell. So let's go. <clears throat> You will. Uh, actually, his labor practices were quite similar. Ugh, Here we go. Gross man. Okay. Yep. Buckle up, children. I'm ready. John Harvey Kellogg was born in Tyrone, Michigan on February 26, 1852 to John Preston Kellogg and Anne Jeanette Stanley. He was one of 11 children. Oh and that gosh. was when John was on his second wife. Holy Prior to that, shit. he had five kids. 
So there's 16 kids in this house, okay? The Kelloggs were a very religious family, as if you couldn't tell by their 7,000 kids that they had. Jesus Christ, very prolific gene pool. For fuck's sake. I mean, that kind of made up for what happened afterwards with John Harvey, but we'll talk about it later. It's okay. And after attending several different churches, settled on the newly formed Seventh-day Adventist faith, going so far as to move from Tyrone to Battle Creek, Michigan in 1856, where the creators of the Seventh-day Adventist Church were located. They packed up everything they had, their thousands of children, and established (laughs) a broom company in Battle Creek, Michigan. A broom company. Now, the Seventh-day Adventists um, started in 1855 by Helen G. White and her husband, James Springer White. Ellen and James White were gaining fame through the visions Ellen White experienced. Her visions dictated... uh, So, God, this it started absolutely as a cult. And uh, whatever you know now about the Seventh-day Adventist religion, it has certainly changed since then, but it most definitely started as a cult. Still kind of culty, yeah. Ellen's visions dictated that in order to prepare for the second coming, the body needed to be purified and thus needed to be free of alcohol, tea, coffee, and animal flesh. Oh my god, this is like his words exactly. So this is who he stole it all from. Correct. Soon after the Kellogg's arrived in Battle Creek, uh, the Whites noticed young John Harvey, who was about four at the time. And Ellen said she had a vision that John Harvey would have a major role in God's service. At the age of 12, John Harvey Kellogg was offered work by the Whites. So, So the Whites started a, they had a publishing company. And he started working for them. He became one of their protégés, rising from errand boy to printer's devil. What the fuck does that mean? I had looked it up. See, this is how we're going to learn all of this new vocabulary in this episode. A printer's devil was an apprentice in a printing establishment who performed a number of tasks, such as mixing tubs of ink and fetching type. And because they considered, you know, the black ink to be related to the devil... Because it was was black. black. Exactly. They called it a printer's devil. Fucking racist. It gets worse. All right. So John Henry helped to set articles for health or how to live and the health. uh, These were all magazines or, you know, books that they that the whites put out health, how to live and the health reformer. Um, And he became very familiar with Ellen White's theories of health. By the age of 14, he started a strict vegetarian diet that he maintained until his death. Yep. Ellen White described her husband's relationship with John Harvey Kellogg as closer than that with his own children. Well, that seems concerning. That seems very concerning and may... Huh. Gives one pause when you think about his later life. Anyway, here we Mm go. Mm -hmm. John Kellogg hoped to become a teacher. At age 16, he taught a district, at a district school in Hastings, Michigan. By age 20, he had enrolled in a teacher's training course. However, he was pressured by the Whites and by his family, the Kelloggs, to become a doctor like three of his other siblings. One of which was a woman, by the way, which I found yeah. fascinating. Yes, she probably dealt in feminine ailments. Probably, but but also there were so many of them. One of them had to be a success, you know, like. I've never known for anyone other than Jews to pressure their children into becoming doctors. Uh, I'm sorry. Have you met Asians? Oh, that's true. We should cut all of this out, too. All of it's going (laughs) to. 
We're cutting everything. <clears throat> Should we start from the beginning? Hi, welcome to Gag Reflex. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about nothing because we can't do any of this without being super racist. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but it is true. And I have spoken. I have many Asian friends, Nama. No. And all my Asian friends tell me, yes, no, but it's true. I mean, I don't I don't know from about any of that. I do know that in the Jewish faith. Oh, my God. Doctor or lawyer. Doctor or lawyer. Those are your two options. (laughs) He wanted to be a teacher. He was pressured to become a doctor. And at the time, the hot medical innovation was water therapy. Water therapy? Yes. There were over 50 water cure resorts in the U.S. And spas. Like hydrotherapy. Hydrotherapy. Exactly. And there was a prominent journal called Water Cure. All right. Common water-based prescriptions included drinking 40 to 50 glasses of water a day. No, that seems wrong. That is... (laughs) (laughs) When I drink... When I drink over eight glasses, or even when I drink, like, a 16-ounce bottle quickly, let me tell you... I have to pee. No. No. It's not just pee. It's an anal waterfall as well because something is going through my body and oh yes. Never say anal waterfall again. Oh my god. It's this is a perfect this is actually a perfect segue to all of his treatments because Oh god. I feel like this is gonna take forever because I'm gonna be so grossed out. Don't go anal waterfalls. No. No. Don't you do that to TLC. You take that back. I'm so sorry, Lisa. No. Oh my God. I'm so okay. (laughs) All right, here we go. (laughs) Subsequently. John Harvey attended the six-month medical course in hydrotherapy in Florence Township, New Jersey. Hey, if you come to New Jersey, we can visit it. I don't think it still exists. Oh, that's a great idea. It's probably been turned into condos by now. But anyway, he was not impressed, and he questioned the efficacy of water therapy. Nevertheless, the Whites were hell-bent on John Harvey becoming a doctor. Their goal was to develop a group of trained doctors for the Adventist-inspired Western Health Reform Institute in Battle Creek. Under the White's patronage, meaning they paid for it all, John Harvey Kellogg went on to attend medical school at the University Medical School in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, it's a good school. I mean, I don't know how good it was in like 1870, but anyway. And the NYU Medical College at Bellevue Hospital. He graduated in 1875 with a medical degree at the age of 23. Jeez. In October 1876, Kellogg became the director of the Western Health Medical Reform Institute. And in 1877, he renamed it the Battle Creek Medical Surgical Sanitarium. Cleverly coining the... This is fascinating. Okay. He coined the term sanitarium. Really? Yeah, to suggest both hospital care and the importance of sanitation and personal health. Huh. In 1879, John Harvey Kellogg married Ella Elvira. Nope. Nope. Ervilla. I was trying to... (laughs) I was trying to fancify it. What the fuck? 
kind of a name is Ervilla? Is that know, Swiss? I don't know. It's okay. a lot of names. <laughs> they met while Ella was working at the sanitarium. Ooh, scandalous. Ooh. Well, anyway. Office <laughs> That's an office romance. Oh, it's like Jim and Pam from The Office. Anyway, according okay. to both John Harvey and Ella, the marriage was never consummated. Ew, why? What the fuck is wrong with them? Ke- you're going to find out. Stay tuned. <laughs> Kellogg followed the Adventist views in favor of celibacy. The couple maintained separate bedrooms and did not have any biological children. However, they get married. Well, I don't. That's a great question. I don't actually know. How are Seventh Day Adventists supposed to breed? How are you going to make more Seventh Day Adventists? Well, they had. They were parents. They were foster parents to 42 children and legally adopted at least seven of them before Ella died in 1920. Look, I'm going to put something out there. Please do. I don't think it was religion that kept John Kellogg celibate. I think it was homosexuality. That's my feeling, but I will, we can go into that. I'm taking another tack. I'm taking another tack. Okay. I have read his cookbook, and I think that this man was so backed up. (laughs) No! All the time. Oh, no. Oh, no, he was not. And you're going to hear about no in quite the opposite, madam. It's interesting that you say that. Let's talk about it. Yeah, we're going to we're going to dig into it. No pun intended. Here we go. Using the tenets of Seventh-day Adventism, Kellogg Sanitarium or the San, that was informally known, was the ultimate health spa. The sanitarium approached treatment in a holistic manner, actively promoting vegetarianism, nutrition, the frequent use of enemas to clear intestinal flora. Mm -hmm. God. Yeah. Exercise, sunbathing, hydrotherapy, and abstention from smoking tobacco, drinking alcoholic beverages, and sexual activity. God, it sounds so fun there. I can't. Terrible. Why would you want to take a girls' weekend one day? (laughs) Kellogg was an early promoter of biologic living. This was the idea. Mm-hmm. That appropriate diet, exercise, and recreation was required in order to maintain a healthy body, mind, and soul. As such, the policies and therapies at the Battle Creek Sanitarium were very much in line with the principles of biologic living, such as the focus on vegetarianism, drinking eight to ten glasses of water a day, which that sounds too much. That sounds okay. dehydrating That's to okay. me in comparison. And in fact, his belief that biologic living would protect his health was so strong. This, I feel, is where the Venn diagram of Goop and crazy Victorian Kellogg begin. Okay. He did not even feel it necessary to get vaccinated against smallpox. Motherfucker. Anyway, Kellogg's philosophy was presented in seven textbooks that were prepared for Adventist schools and colleges. In these, Kellogg put his main emphasis on the value of fresh air, exercise, and sunshine, and the dangers of alcohol and tobacco. Of course. In terms of practice, Kellogg's biologic living was very similar to that of Christian physiologists requiring sexual restraint, total abstinence from drugs, and again, the vegetarian diet. God, they sound like miserable people. Okay, here's where it gets worse. Kellogg never paid his staff. What? Right. He thought it was payment enough to have them live in that lifestyle and offered them room and board in exchange for their labor. What a piece of shit. He did, however, pay his brother, William Keith, $9 a week to do bookkeeping and take dictation. And it was said that John Harvey would make... This is so fucking awful and 
just really hits it home. John Harvey would make William follow him into the bathroom while he was taking a crap to dictate. What? Ew. Not everybody needs to see that, John. Well, during his tenure at the SAN, John invented several health-related products, including electroshock machines, the world's first incandescent light therapy bath, which he demoed where, Nama? Oh, God, at the World's Fair. Of course! At the World's Fair at the 1893 Chicago Expo. Mm-hmm. He believed so much in the power of light that he wore om- for his entire life. He wore only white as a way of absorbing more of the sun's rays. Crazy person. He invented the Oscalo Manipulator, a belt that you would wear around your waist and would shake you vigorously. A mechanical uh, slap. I'm sorry. Can we go back? Is this just a vibrator? It's not- <laughs> no, it's like the. <laughs> it's like that thing that old men would put around their waist. It's not a vibrator. It's Are like we a sure belt. It's not just a vibrator. I mean, it's it could be. I guess it's like sitting on the washing machine or the dryer and mm. having it go. I'm just saying he's got no other outlet for his like sexual urges. Well, hold on. Um, he invented a mechanical slapping massage device. Again. Uh huh. Vibrator. Right. And. Mostly, he was obsessed with defecation. He went to the Bronx and London zoos and observed the defecation habits of animals and noted how the vegetarian animals would defecate three to four times a day or once after every meal and became convinced that because humans eat meat, they are not pooping as much as they should. So he then went back to the sand and created some machinery that would assist in promoting bowel movements, including a chair. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. A chair that just shoves something up your ass? No, a chair that would shake you so vigorously, it literally shakes the crap out of you. Oh my God. This guy was really fucked up. Why do we eat his cereal? We don't eat his cereal. Hold on. It's a different Kellogg? Oh, you're, it, you'll see. This is so exciting, Nama! It's the wonderful oh world of Kellogg! This is fucking fascinating. <laughs> An enema machine that ran water through the bowel and then followed it up with a pint of yogurt. Half delivered through the mouth no. and the other half through the anus. No, 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 no. Yes, no. ma'am! Listen, the mouth and the anus are not a 50-50 thing. You don't, like... Oh, this is so much worse than I thought it was going to be. And finally, a colonic irrigation machine, which would give a continual flush to the system. I don't want to talk about colons being irrigated. I hate that word. They would pump Nama. They would pump someone with up to 15 gallons of water through their system. No. 15 gallons of water? Can't that kill someone? But wait, that's not all. A huge part of his health obsession involved his hatred of sex and masturbation. Yep. He became convinced that the control of sexual urges was essential to preserving the body's strength. He called masturbation the sewer drain of the body and the silent killer of the night. Well, to each his own, fucker. Also, I feel, <laughs> I feel like Silent Killer of the Night is a song from the 1980s. I it sounds right. Yeah. Like a Depeche Mode song. The Silent Killer of the Night. 
Yeah. Anyway, in a book called Plain Facts for Old and Young, Embracing the Natural History and Hygiene of Organic Life, Kellogg cataloged 39 different symptoms a person plagued by masturbation could have, including general... Plagued by masturbation. Yes, yes. General infirmity, defective development, mood swings, fickleness, bashfulness, boldness, bad posture, stiff joints, fondness for spicy foods. Yep. No, he hates spices. Acne, palpitations, and epilepsy. Look at I would like to talk about the symptoms of not masturbating. Well, listen, he suggests <laughs> those also include boldness, bad posture, and stiff joints. Certainly the mood swings. No doubt. He suggested curbing male urges by circumcising men without using any form of <gasps> Look anesthesia. Look at how he thought it was only men. No, no. He also suggested using acid to burn off a woman's clitoris. Oh, my God. Yeah. John Harvey was obsessed with exercise. Male guests had to wear diapers to get maximum exposure to the sun in the process of exercising. Each morning, everyone would go to the roof of the sand for a ritual called Hop on Top, where people would exercise to the music of a marching band. Now, this is fascinating, actually, because this is kind of the first use of music to exercise. So in a way, John Harvey Kellogg invented Zumba. (laughs) Uh, Through the use of music, he said he thought he could get people to be more engaged in exercise. And indeed, he did. Thank you. Thank you for creating an entire aerobics nation, sir. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Now we get to the food and diet. Okay. In the late Victorian era, the the Victorian diet consisted of a tremendous amount of fatty foods, cigars, tons of alcohol. People often complained of dyspepsia or indigestion. I kept reading this word in his cookbook. Dyspepsia means indigestion. But I would bet that the term, the word Pepsi, you know, Pepsi. That's what I was just going to ask you. I bet it does. It has to be like because like anti-dyspepsia right exactly like something that will help you isn't that like an i don't know if it's an old wives tale or whatever i remember drinking or being given a coke or something if i had a tummy anything with bubbles right people often complained of dyspepsia or indigestion kellogg was in direct opposition of all of that for a time kellogg promoted something called fletcherizing have you heard of that no what (laughs) it's it's chewing it's it must have been created by a man named fletcher it's the idea of chewing your food until it slithers down your throat yeah he has a lot of discussion yeah that is really uncomfortable in this cookbook (laughs) about mastication right he really likes the word well if one cannot masturbate one must masticate yes i was just gonna say Salt and sugar were the enemies. They were unnecessary. What you put into your body had a lasting effect on health. He said meat was the leading cause of illness and worked in the kitchen to create delicious alternatives such as creamed cauliflower, stewed raisins, yogurt cheese, which doesn't sound bad, but whatever, and good health biscuits, which has to be fucking dog food anyway well we're gonna talk about those because we are some of those are in this cookbook <gasps> and they are oh i'm so excited i can't wait no, there's nothing to be excited oh about. settle in kids <laughs> early in his tenure at the sanitarium 
Kellogg created a health treat for patients that consisted of oatmeal and cornmeal baked into biscuits and then ground into tiny, tiny pieces. And he called it uh-huh. granula. Jesus Christ. And this is cornflakes. Well, this was granula. This was maybe the worst name imaginable, since a very similar product with the exact same name was already being made and sold by a man named James Caleb Jackson, another dietary reformer. Um, And under the threat of a lawsuit, Kellogg then changed the name of his creation to Granola. 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 Well done. In 1877, Kellogg created the Sanitarium Health Food Company to sell their vegetarian products. And in 1896, <laughs> Kellogg introduced, but did not patent, Nutos, the first commercially produced alternative to meat. Nutos was made primarily from peanuts and resembled cold roast mutton. By seasoning or marinating, Nutos could be made to taste like a fried chicken or barbecue. Served with mashed potatoes and vegetables, it could mimic a traditional American meal. It could not. On March 19, 1901, Kellogg was granted the first United States patent for a vegetable substitute to meat for a blend of nuts and grains called protos. That sounds right. fucking nasty as fuck. Sounds terrible. He also, <laughs> interestingly enough, invented the first soy-based milk product. Yeah. He invented soy milk. He invented soy milk. He also had something he called corn cream. What? Mm, we'll get to it. It's- Not creamed corn? Corn cream? Cream. All right. It's corn. It's like corn milk is essentially what mm, you're thinking. Delish. Yeah. Now I'm imagining taking the tiny little corn nuts and milking them. <laughs> <laughs> Many famous people were known to have visited the San, including George Bernard Shaw, Henry Ford, John D. Rockefeller, a fucking who's who of anti-Semites. Jesus. <laughs> oh, and Sandra Bernhardt, too. So that's good. Get her what? in there. Yeah, she went. In 1891, a man named Charles Post arrived at the sand with a wicked case of dyspepsia. And he actually lived there for a few years off and on. He was a frustrated entrepreneur. I imagine him wearing one of those straw hats that they, you know. Like a Panama hat? Oh, maybe like a Panama hat. I could see that. I was thinking more of a barbershop quartet hat. Oh, and, yeah, similar. And one of those weird twisty mustaches that my daughter's obsessed with. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, she's so goth. She- <laughs> um, so he was a frustrated entrepreneur and was known to loiter around the food factory at the San. Maybe because he loitered around the factory. I'm also imagining him in a trench coat. Uh, a trench coat is a very loitery outfit. It is. Anyway. Look so... William Kellogg tried to warn John about this guy, but John didn't care. He wasn't worried. Uh, Mr. Post was especially interested in a coffee substitute made out of grain and molasses. And sure enough, not a few months later, C.W. Post created the Post Cereal <gasps> Company. No, he just swiped all of his ideas. And introduced this I'm grain kind of okay. molasses drink as Postum. Is this grape nuts? Ma'am, stand by. Yes, it is. He was also the first to sell his idea that the Kellogg's had been kicking around for a while as grape nuts, named for the grapes that were used to sweeten the cereal. But John Henry didn't care. He wasn't into the. He wasn't in this to make money. He was in this to create a better world. I'm just going to rephrase that. He was in this to create a better, whiter world. Yes. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, William was really busy trying other recipes that could work. They had long been trying to create an item made in Denver called shredded wheat. But the people in the sand said that it tasted like eating a bale of hay. 
<laughs> so they wouldn't need it. So they were like, okay, well, maybe if we can make shredded wheat into something more convenient, like a flake. But every time they tried, it was like too mushy. It wouldn't flake. And then one day, William was like, fuck this left for a few days, came back, and he put the stuff through a flaker, and it totally worked. You see, the mold, uh-huh, the mold that grew on the flakes had given the batter the rise it needed, and from that moment in 1894, the flakes were made with wheat. John Harvey took all the credit, of course, and insisted it be sold only to Sands patients and to the subscribers of the Sands magazine. Will was furious because he at heart, even though he was hired as a bookkeeper, was a businessman. And he was like, we've got this great product. We could sell it. We could be millionaires. And John didn't want any of it. They were selling a ton of cereal, but just to their own Sand customers. That was dumb. Dude. For a man with so many manias, he had no vision. I think he had vision, but he was he was not in it for the money. He also went on like a ton of speaking tours people were fascinated by what he had to say Mm. and he made a ton of money doing that and he just didn't care right no i guess i get that it's dumb i know it's hard to understand it's hard to understand the goyim but they do what they do one day when john harvey was on one of his many book tours and speaking engagements will took the recipe added sugar replaced the wheat with corn and walked the fuck out (laughs) and created he was like i'm done with this (laughs) toodles motherfucker and created the battle creek toasted cornflake company by 1910 william cereal company was a 10 million dollar business the brothers sued each other william kellogg that's right that's right Wow. It's a very long and complicated history. At one point, the sanitarium burns down and they rebuild it. And I'm not even going to bring that. I'm not even going to talk about it. It's a lot happened. But for years, the brothers battled each other and they would change the names so that it would be confusing to people so so that someone would think that they were buying one of the cereals. And and ultimately, it ended in a total lawsuit. They each sued each other for rights to the name. I mean, it it ended in the two of them becoming estranged from each other. They just didn't Mm -hmm. talk to each other. (gasps) Though, interestingly enough, at the John Harvey died before William. He was 10 years older anyway, but he died before (laughs) William. And before he died, he sent a letter to William Uh, saying, I'm so sorry. And I wish that, you know, we could have gotten along. And no one gave it to him. No one gave it to William until he was on his deathbed. And when he was on his deathbed, they gave it was like literally 20 years. They gave it. They finally gave it to him. And that's exactly what he said. He said, I wish I had known about this sooner. I would have gone to him to his deathbed. But anyway, I guess he died knowing that there were no hard feelings. Well, clearly they needed an enema. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as cheap and fucking weird as John Harvey was, William Keith was a wonderful employer. He created the six-hour work shift in his factory. He had the factory open 24 hours a day so they could employ twice as many people in order to create more jobs. Oh, wow. Meanwhile... His brother... His brother... was a piece of shit. Right. John Harvey Kellogg was becoming more and more outspoken on his beliefs on race and segregation. Though he himself raised several black foster children, which... Some of his best children were black, Some of his best children were black. In 1906, together with Irving Fisher and Charles Davenport, Kellogg founded the Race Betterment Foundation, which became a major center of new eugenics movement in America. 
Ugh, what a piece of shit. Kellogg was in favor of racial segregation and believed that immigrants and non-whites would damage the gene pool. Yeah, that sounds right. At the end of his life, John Harvey would walk around the sand totally clad only in a white G-string. Ew. Uh, so that clearly sounds like the no better race right that. there. Mm-hmm. No one needs that asshole. Ugh. Kellogg died on December 14th in 1943 in Battle Creek, Michigan. He was buried in Oak Hill Cemetery. Among others buried there are his parents, his brother, W.K. Kellogg, his brother's wife, James White, Ellen G. White, C.W. Post. They meet again. In the afternoon. Uriah Smith and weirdly enough, Sojourner Truth. So there you go. Really? That's quite an interesting dinner party. And that's all I got from Mr. John Holy Harvey Kellogg. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Jess, that was so much worse than I thought it was going to be. Like- oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty way, bad. Way worse. Way worse. And I, like, his purity thing is throughout this cookbook i mean the thing is is that there's so much more too that he did he first of all he wrote a tremendous um, he wrote like 80 books or something yeah well let me tell you something this book took me you know how long i've been reading this thing like we kept extending when we were gonna do this podcast because i told you this was like my hardest book report ever this whole (laughs) fucking thing is written in victorian english right and he just he hates so many things so can we spend a little while on the introductory chapter of this cookbook yes let's please so first of all anybody who's not a hygienicist which is what he calls people that have a reformed diet according to him hygienicist a hygienicist not to be confused with a dental hygienicist (laughs) a dental hygienist right okay whatever so So in the preface, here is what he would like to say about everything. Upon few subjects are people so reckless of ultimate consequences as as upon that of eating. Whatever the palate, whatever pleases the palate is turned into the stomach, no matter what may be its dietetic value. This same prodigal expenditure of health and life. Prodigal? 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 prodigal expenditure of health and life will doubtless continue until people become intelligent upon these these subjects and until a clear intellect an untainted breath and a healthy stomach come to be considered more desirable than the sensuous pleasures which may be experienced by gratification of the demands of a depraved taste and pampered appetite that's the victorian way of saying a minute on the lips a lifetime on the a hips. A lifetime on the hips, yeah. Okay, so then his whole introduction is about what is food. Okay. It sounds uh, very existential. Okay. Yes. He says first that people should live only on vegetable matter. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, it sounds incredibly delicious. <laughs> the plant, and this is like a powerful load of bullshit. Okay. Quote, the plant, through the agency of a mysterious force called vitality, what? So, mm-hmm, so transforms the various elements of the mineral world as to prepare them for the sustenance of man and animal kingdom in general. 
And that should be man's natural diet. Wait, can you read? I'm sorry. Read that again. I zoned out a little bit. Okay. So essentially what he's saying is that plants and not what he later calls flesh foods. Ew. Oh, God. Have a a mysterious force called vitality. (laughs) And that mysterious force, vitality, so transforms the various elements of the mineral world as to prepare them for the sustenance of man and the animal kingdom in general. Wow. Yeah. That's putting, yeah. that's really putting so, a lot on the vegetable kingdom. So the, the change that vitality has on the minerals within food mm-hmm. is indispensable. All right. This guy would be, for sure, this guy would be really into the Quote, raw movement. Quote, as all intelligent physiologists agree, and the facts of everyday life abundantly attest. Piece of shit. We all took a Facebook quiz, and we agree. Yeah. So then he has a whole discussion about perverted appetite. Ooh! Oh my god, I definitely have one of those. Say more, dig into it. Possessing the power of cultivating the taste to an almost unlimited extent, men have unfortunately acquired many unwholesome and pernicious habits. Mm. Their appetites have thus become so depraved that they are enabled to relish articles which are the most obnoxious to a natural, unperverted taste. (laughs) And then he lists all of the things... Then he lists all of the things that are obnoxious. Terrible. What is what is an obnoxious include, food? Quote flesh food. <laughs> by which he means Jesus, meat. any kind of meat. Any kind of any kind of animal product. Okay. Is a flesh food. Wait, and that's so. He, was he vegan? He was vegan. Interesting. Flesh food, butter, and all kinds of animal fat, fine flour, spices, pungent roots as radish, celery, etc. Imagine <gasps> calling celery pungent. Oh my, well, you know, back in the day, maybe. <laughs> no. <laughs> we had a Sugar. whole conversation about celery. I know we did. Sugar, vinegar, right, pickles. He hates pickles. What? Oh my God, we're going to get there. Pickles, what? preserves. My pick. wait, I feel like pickles are... Throughout uh, history, no, pickles we're, have we're been a noted health boon, haven't they? I mean, you would think because of all of the, like, now we understand probiotics. Right, exactly. Real, you know, we're not talking like vinegar pickles, but like real fermented pickles. Right, absolutely. Are a thing of wonder. And no, he hates them. So we'll get to it. Um, but he hates anything that even remotely ferments. Um, pickles, preserves, tea, coffee, wine, and all other stimulants. Later, he tells us over and over again that stimulation means poison. <laughs> like, that's what's happening to your body, and that's why you feel, like, energized, because your body is fighting off poison when it is stimulated. Oh, it's kind of... Jesus that's like, Christ. Like, you know, like how... Isn't it the French who refer to ejaculation as a little death? Yeah, petit mort. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, so same thing. Um, oh my god salt soda salaritus which i looked what is up that and i think is it's baking powder what and the, the various fuck? other mm-hmm, and the various other mineral substances employed in cooking okay so what's then, allowed at this point you've got all the vegetables but not all vegetables vegetables and roughly milled grains <laughs> that's it that's it. Vegetables, fruits. I can't imagine the amount of farting that went on at the sand. Oh, so much. Okay. 
Then he says, "Wait, so are you allowed fruits, talking? or is that because is that you like are, a you are rude... allowed fruits? You are encouraged to have fruits. Oh, you are, even though yeah, even though and it has sugar only, in it. It's the only kind of sugars you're allowed to. have. I see. Okay, sweet fruits. Okay, Nama, you're a sweet fruit. So are you. Mm. Okay, so then he starts talking about how terrible flesh food and animals are. Okay. And then he says, how many people suffer all the agonies of death a hundred times from loathsome tapeworms, which originated in measly pork? God. In Okay, I mean, hold on a second. Because to be fair, I'm not really sure how... Did the FDA even exist back then? No, no, no. This was like... This was like pre John Updike writing. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly no. right. So, so I so can understand. Right. But then he says, um, and if possible, how much keener suffering is endured by the poor victims of these horrid, those horrid creatures, trichinae, which are found in unnumbered multitudes, according to reliable authorities, in one out of every ten of those scrofulous scavengers. Oh, so he meant pigs, which supply our cities with ham and sausage. Trichinosis? Is that what trichinosis is? Yes. So then he talks about how he hates um, fish and da da da. Fish? Why? What the fuck did a fish ever do to him? I don't know. The fascinating part is that then he quotes, he puts in here a table about the, that he got from Dr. Smith's excellent work on quote unquote foods. And this. That sounds 100% legitimate. And this table shows the comparative nutritive values of different articles of food. Okay. Okay. And so then it has articles of food and then right next to it, amount of nutriment in 100 parts. But that shit is not defined in any way. So like beef has 27 nutriments nutriments in 100 parts. That sounds like... Strawberries have 12.7 nutriments, but lentils have 77. And I don't know if you're supposed to have more. Nama, I know you I know you didn't brush your teeth today. Can I offer you a nutriment? <laughs> it sounds like the kind of word that my son would have used when he was five. It's got a lot of nutriments in it. It's like it's when he used to say library or Valentine's Day. So how many nutriments are in this? Panano. Panano, exactly. Mommy, eat this. It's got a lot of nutriments in it. <laughs> okay, then he has this to say about eggs. Oh, I can only imagine. Oh my god. So first of all, he calls vegetarians so-called vegetarians if they eat eggs. So that's kind of Oh my god, this guy is like <laughs> the most fucking self-righteous Haverford attending, hacky sack playing, white you know, man with dreadlock wearing. Yes, yes, that's who he would have been today. He reminded me of, did you ever read, it came out like a few years ago, two, 2014 or 15. I don't remember who did a food diary for Amanda Chantal Bacon. <gasps> Wait. She's the founder of, she's the founder she's of the Moon, Moon Juice. the Moon Juice lady, right? Yeah, and she <clears throat> did this food diary where like none of the words <laughs> right and it was all like seaweed protein and i don't know and dust 
And like somebody <coughs> totaled up how much her food di- diary would have cost for one day, and it was like seventeen billion dollars. Oh, I remember this because she would have yeah. these supplements, right? She would right, order right. these. She would have like a shake at every meal, and it it, it included like a triple moon juice, right? Like, exactly, yeah. and the whole you know one of these jars of and moon juice or whatever was like five hundred dollars exactly. Yeah. So this reminds me of like if moon juice existed in the Victorian age before they like distilled things into chemical properties like that's what anyway that so this is what he has to say about eggs. They are exciting and stimulating in their nature at the best and are usually made still worse by improper cooking. I will say hold on because I will say that when I eat eggs, I do feel stimulated and excited. I fucking love it. You and I both love eggs. Also, I this totally eggs. goes into his whole, like, sexual yes. abhorrence. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Continue. He was a sad man. He hates milk. Um, then cheese. This is one of my favorite sentences in the whole book. <laughs> Old cheese is one of the most injurious of dietetic abominations. Oh, my God. Stay fresh, cheese bags. The notion that... No, he doesn't like fresh cheese either. (laughs) The notion that it aids digestion is a monstrous fallacy. So good. Oh, my God. But whoever said that cheese aided in digestion? Was that a thing? Who the fuck knows? This was the Victorian age. They believed all sorts of crazy ass shit. They had to present their bananas in tinfoil cut up because it looked too much like a peanut. You, know- <laughs> like- <laughs> you know who would have known about this? The Antiquarian Club. Oh, yeah. She- I- we're going to have to take a trip to Worcester. Okay. Then he has this to say about butter. When cooked with the food, it thoroughly permeates the whole mass. Thank God. It- I know. And renders it next to impossible of digestion. Oh, my God. Okay. Fine flour is a most fruitful source of disease. <laughs> Fine flour should Why? never be Why? In used. what way is it? I, I don't know. He is very upset that, like, people would take the bran off of the flour, off of the wheat, or off of whatever the grain is, because that's where all the nutriments are. You can <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Can you? (laughs) Can you explain to me how wheat works with the bran and what? I don't under. How does that go? I have to. I have to calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. He's so fucked up. Okay, so listener, we, you know, excuse like us. Nutriments, okay, like, nutriments working. What? Okay, like you know the difference between white rice and brown rice. No, right? No, like, brown rice just still has the husk of the rice around it, and white rice has had that like dried and rubbed off, so it is more Wait, refined. What? Yes. What are you telling me that white rice is basically brown rice with the cusp with the crust cut off? It's circumcised rice, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, if it's circumcised um, rice, you know that uh, Kellogg would be into it. But, oh, my God. I had, Okay. All right. Continue. Okay. So it's the same kind of thing with, like, wheat flour and, like, whole wheat flour 
versus white wheat flour. Oh my which god! Which is that with wheat you can take the outer husk off, and I think that's called the bran. The outer layers are the bran. It's its overcoat. It's its overcoat. So he objects to circumcised flour. <laughs> that's what. That's the analogy I'm going with today. Run with it, Forrest. I love it. Okay. All right, go on. Fine flour should never be used only in exceptional cases. It is barely possible that some invalids who have morbidly sensitive stomachs oh may find God. the coarsest portion of gram flour somewhat irritating. In such cases, the coarse bran can be removed with a sieve, or a quantity of fine flour may sometimes be mixed with the gram for a time until the system becomes accustomed to its use. So the one trend in this cookbook is he has like a bunch of every every section he has like a bunch of like supremely tasty mush supremely like horrifying untasty mushy recipes okay and then at the he's end like just sprinkle a little white flour on it makes it taste delicious and then at the end of the chapter he'll have a whole other section that's like if you're just getting used to this kind of eating oh here are the like transitional recipes that you can use but then there's like always like three or four sentences after that with like deep judgment about how you can't hack it yet <laughs> like we'll get to i it. don't okay. doubt that at all oh my god this is fascinating to me I know. okay so i i only really only picked out a few recipes because like they're all just the same they're all just like but I wanted, I really wanted to spend, I spent most of my time reading on this introduction because like his philosophy is fucking fascinating. Oh my okay, God. Okay, so this is what he has to say about spices. <laughs> I feel like this is going to go into racial territory, but let's, let's do it. All pungent acrid substances should be wholly discarded by hygienists. They vitiate and destroy the delicacy of the sense of taste and are active and potent agents in producing dyspepsia and all the attendant evils of that hydra-headed malady. Whoa! Yeah. And here we go. Here's the list. Pepper, nutmeg, cinnamon, and the remainder of the list of savory, though pernicious condiments do not add anything of value to the food, but it's obscure its natural flavors and destroy the relish for simple, unstimulating foods. All this is telling me is that Kellogg was like the most deeply picky eater on the planet oh my and God, then decided the to worst. create a religious philosophy based around that pickiness to force everybody else. He's like the kind of picky eater that can't stand watching you eat something he doesn't like to eat. Well, he sounds incredibly judgmental. I will give you that. I Here's the thing. I For the picky eater... Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I just have experience with children, with the the under seven community. But they like they like a white rice, a mac and cheese without the cheese, you know, pasta with nothing on it. I mean, that's all. I, these are all enemies of Kellogg, are they not? Yes. So what he's talking, he's basically like, I am so fucking sexually repressed in my life. Everything yes. is miserable. Like, I have to have 15 gallons of water shot up my rectum in order to take a proper shit. Just wait until you hear what he defines as a pudding. <laughs> Why did you have to say that right after <laughs> I talked about a colonic? I think you what know. A- <laughs> God. 
I'm okay. so upset. I'm feeling many things right now, and comfort is not one of them. Okay, so he hates sugar, and the only use for sugar is maybe to like use it in a tiny, tiny quantity in order to make palatable sour fruits. Sour fruits? Yeah, like lemon. I would eat a lemon whole before I fucking ate any of your nasty molded flakes with fucking soy milk. So this isn't, I don't know if this is true of the time, so I can't judge this one, but the first reason he doesn't like sugar is that it is exceedingly liable to adulteration with very poisonous substances in the process of manufacture, sulfuric acid, nitric acid, or aquafortis, and biacetate of lead, a potent cause of lead paralysis, Uh frequently employed for various purposes, which like, this was the Victorian age and like- I don't doubt it. This could have been true. Right. Remember what they were putting in ketchup? I do remember what that's exactly right. I mean, but yeah, it also sounds a bit fear mongering. Right. Okay. So remember, his problem is with the refinement process of sugar. Right. Right. And then he says, always buy the best white sugar. What? Brown, Brown sugar is seldom fit to use. Its dark color is due to the dirt it contains. Wait. And worse than that. It is often filled with minute animals, which are the cause of a disease known as grocer's itch. I 100% think that this is what he thought about black people, too. Oh, God. I can't. Why did you have to say grocer's itch, though? That (laughs) I am not going to be able to sleep tonight. No, it's Kellogg. There's no way that's a real thing. Oh, my God. Why did it doesn't matter it doesn't have to be a real thing but it is a seed that is germinating and giving nutriments to my brain about it <laughs> nutriments are my new favorite word. Okay. <laughs> okay. grocer's itch oh god <laughs> too- okay this man needs to Fucking masturbate. Like, now, right now. Grocer's itch. Ugh. Here's what he has to say about vinegar, pickles, and preserves. It would seem that nothing need be said to convince any candid, observing person that these articles are wholly unfit for food, as his own sensations must often have hinted to him their indigestible character. See, this guy also is an anti-Semite. Yes. Because to reject the pickle is to reject our people. Is it not? But he rejects because he re- but he also rejects vinegar and because it's even worse than alcohol, he says. Why? Uh, it, In like, what way? It's, it's the next step after alcohol. So it's even more fermented than alcohol and he opposes alcohol and fermentation of any kind. <sighs> Pickles Boy, later he's on the wrong side of history about, this guy, but uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Pickles are wholly intolerable and are almost devoid of nourishment. They should never be eaten under any ordinary circumstances. Wow. Well. What's an unordinary circumstance in which you find yourself that you're like, well, I guess. Desert island and there's six jars of pickles, I guess. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's my favorite day at the beach, Nama. Yeah. Okay. Tea and coffee. Yeah. And he he objects to the use of tea, coffee, cocoa, and chocolate. Right. Because number one, they are stimulating. 
And here he defines, this implies that they contain elements which are recognized by the system as poisons and are treated as such, being turned out of the body as quickly as possible after being introduced. Okay. Two, all drinks are objectionable when taken with food, as they render digestion difficult and impose a severe task about the digestive, digestive organs before the work of digestion proper can begin. So he... Then he says, drinking with meals is a very pernicious habit and makes thousands of dyspeptics. So he thinks that, like, you should take a drink. The last time you should take a drink is, like, at least 15 minutes before a meal. Oh, my God. Oh, and by the way, you're only allowed to have two meals a day. Wait, what? Yeah, he gets to that later. Two meals a day, preferably at, like, 7 7 a.m. and, like, 1 p.m. I don't remember. He spells out the exact times. Of course he Um, does. He also doesn't like that people become so accustomed to the unnatural temperature of tea and coffee that they are able to take into their mouths without pain that which would nearly scald their hands. That's ridiculous. Well, it's warmer in your mouth than it is. This man went to fucking medical school. Yeah, but that's, that's what's shocking what to me. Was back then. That's remember what medicine was back then. Like they were right. still using leeches, you know? Right. Well, so, it, and in that way, I can understand what he's saying. I mean, I'm sure that the refi- <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> where, where am I supposed to go now? The, I feel like the, <laughs> I, I feel like he is, see, this is just like the Church of Scientology. Like 20% is absolutely correct and right and makes total sense. Right. The way in which things were fermented back then or whatever the refining process of sugar was i'm sure there it was lead-based and i'm sure Sure. there were but incredibly toxic swung way too far to the other side yeah agreed agreed okay what did he say about brown sugar again not that it's mixed with molasses but that it's dirty dirty. does he not know how it's what to no does he think it's just dirty sugar he thinks grocer's itch is a thing oh god why why i specifically was tiptoeing around it Okay, here's what he has to say about wine. It is productive of an untold amount of suffering, sin, and crime. Wow. And then notes that reminds us that stimulation means poisoning. Yet yet again. Okay, time for meals. Only two meals a day, he says. And probably the best hours for meals, considered from a physiological standpoint, are 8 a.m. and 2 and a half p.m. 2 and a half? Oh. I mean, because he just writes the little half symbol. But I have to go to the dentist then. Yeah. Because it's 2.30. Okay, here's the cute thing. Those who find these hours inconvenient may take breakfast at 7 a.m. and dinner at 1 and a half p.m. Oh, so earlier. thank you. And then if this cannot be convenient, if this is not convenient, then you can do 6.30 a.m. and then dine at 12 noon. Wow. If a third meal is taken, it should be very light and not later than 5 p.m. And then he talks about, like, all of these rules of making this change gradually and, like, how, you know, you can get there if you just keep at it and you can try and, you know, add one thing at a time and take out one thing at a time and da-da-da-da-da. And then in every subsequent chapter, he judges you. Right. Of course he does. Deeply for not going whole hog. Oh, my God. I hate this man. All right. Yeah. This is going to make it worse. In commencing the change, discard the worst articles of diet first. Spices, vinegar, pickles, preserves, mustard, pepper sauce, old cheese, and similar articles may be discontinued at once and forever. That's like basically my entire diet. I mean, what am I supposed right to eat? 
Uh, well, I'm about to tell you because it's a nightmare. Okay. Uh, okay. Can we I, can we celebrate this with a colonic afterwards? You're gonna have to. Oh God! All right. I think he was into enemas again because he because couldn't there take was a no. He couldn't take a shot. yeah. He was so backed up. Okay. Oh God! It sounds terrible. Okay. So the next chapter. No fat fun. whatsoever. It sounds like. No, 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 no. Fat is okay so long as it is derived from nuts. <laughs> okay. Seeing as how his nuts weren't getting any fat themselves. Yeah. Good cookery may justly be classed among the fine arts, but in regard to that which is usually called good cookery, which consists in so compounding lard, butter, sugar, salaritus, I don't know how to pronounce that, baking powder, cream and spices with the various fruits, grains, and vegetables as not only, as to not only completely conceal or destroy the natural and proper flavors of those articles, but to make them next to impossible of digestion and fit for nothing but the compost heap, such cookery might much more be properly called the black art. (laughs) And it is also the greatest bane of civilization at the present time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So then bread. In so perfect bread, he says, must contain as many as possible of the elements necessary to sustain life. It must be light and porous so that it may be thoroughly and easily insalivated. Oh. And digestion. Well, you don't digestion. need. Yeah, that way you don't need to fletcherize as much. Okay. It must. It must be palatable. It doesn't need to be tasty. You just need to be able to deal with it in your mouth. <laughs> it sounds like it that's must- basically how he led his entire life. Yeah. It was palatable. It was moderate to adequate. It was fine. It must be of such consistency as to require sufficient mastication to enable it to become thoroughly permeated by the saliva. Oh, God. Why don't you take every scintilla of joy out of the act of eating? That's exactly what you're doing. Every ounce has been just removed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It must not contain any ingredient which will be in any way injurious to the system mm-hmm. if taken into mm-hmm. it, and the material of which it is made must be preserved uninjured by the process of making it, which means much like he very much believes in all sorts of forms of matzah, essentially. <laughs> you know how like matzah is like it's not enough that it's unleavened, but like you have to cook it within X amount of right, minutes right, of right, the right, water right. hitting the flour. Right. Or ferments, which for matzah purposes counts as rising. He that's his problem. He doesn't want any kind of fermentation at all. Um, and then he really goes into that. Like somewhere around here, he talks about how it causes suicide. What? How? Yeah, I have to find it. How letting bread rise naturally causes. Yeah. Okay, so then he says, the eating of too large a proportion of soft food, which requires no mastication to allow it to be swallowed, is very injurious to the teeth. And then later he says, there is no better remedy for sore teeth and tender gums than eating food which requires vigorous and thorough mastication. Like, that is... That makes no fucking sense whatsoever. This fucking goddamn Goldilocks, not too hard, not too soft. Just right. It's, It's... He's a... 
nightmare human. Okay, I'm going to find this quote, though. All right, you keep looking. All right, he goes into, like, why fermentation is terrible, but we don't have to... But he calls it true putrefaction. Oh! What? That's, that's what fermentation is. So here's his rules for making bread. He says that you don't need any kind of leavening or rising agent mm-hmm. because atmospheric air as opposed to regular ass air and soft water are the only materials necessary to render bread as light as can be desired. So essentially if you just take coarse grain, coarsely milled grain and like beat it really fast. So as much air winds up in it as possible while you're putting water in it, that's going to be fine. It's going to be delicious. I hate him. I hate this taste test already. It's going to be awful. I don't know how we're going to make it because, like, the instructions are bananas. Okay, bad bread. I'm going to have to husk my own wheat. Bad bread is probably responsible for more despondent feelings, more ill tempers, more crimes, perhaps more suicides than any other article of food. Wow. And good bread is equally efficient in promoting health, cheerfulness, amiability, and even piety. For we fully credit the statement that there is religion in a loaf of bread. Is not such a triumph, then, worth working for? Ugh. Okay. You know the so, guy, Graham, who invented graham crackers? Graham crackers. Right. He was also opposed to masturbation, He right? was also opposed to masturbation, and he also lived sanatorily, as did yeah. Kellogg. And the fact that it, now it's known as a cookie and there's a tremendous amount of sugar in it would make him fucking, like, roll in his grave if he knew. Oh, my God. So now, I know, like, can you imagine putting a marshmallow on it, what he would think? A marshmallow and fucking Hershey's chocolate. (laughs) I think about it as, like, such excellent revenge. Like, take that. Take that. Chocolate and marshmallow and graham crackers, the food version of sex. So fuck That's exactly right. And it does, yes, it gives, it it gives foundation to the phrase, uh, revenge is sweet. So all of these recipes are basically the same. They are um, they are some kind of flour, okay. <laughs> coarsely milled, mixed with atmospheric air and soft water. Where am I? <laughs> atmospheric air be- is you're just as opposed to canned air. What is that even? <laughs> yeah. Now wait a second. I have a question. Yeah. How am I going to get coarsely ground flour? Does that even exist? I don't, I, I don't know. that. Like, there are some cornmeal recipes in here that I think are maybe the only ones we're going to be able All to All right, make. that's fine. Okay. So I, I honestly think that we only need to read one or two of the bread recipes mm-hmm. before moving on because they're all exactly the same. So his basic recipe is for soft biscuit or gems. Oh. It, that's what he calls a biscuit. Okay. Um, Is a gem, mm-hmm. which I think is was a, like... And then he, there's like a two-page rant about how you should never put like baking soda or any oh, sort of God. caustic anything okay. into it. So this is the whole recipe. Into one part of cold, soft water, stir two parts. Cold, soft water. Okay. Yeah. Stir two parts, which, by which he means like essentially filtered. Right. Water. Like not, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on in the book, he has instructions for how to build a filter. Or you can order one and there's an advertisement at the back of the book. Oh, that you can get from the sand? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, Into one part of cold, soft water, stir two parts of rather coarsely ground graham flour made from the best white wheat. Whoa. Sift slowly. Say it again, Nama. 
Yeah. Slip slowly. <laughs> Sift slowly in with one hand while stirring with the other, thus endeavoring to get in as much air as possible. Oh, for Christ's sake. If the flour is made from red wheat, a little more than two parts of meal will be required. The batter should always be thick enough so that it will not settle flat. I don't know what that means. If it is too thin, the biscuit will be likely to be flat and blistered. If too thick, they will they will be tough and heavy. I I feel like it's going to be really hard to get this Goldilocks in the thing that is like flour and water. Well, also, can you give me more specific measurements than two parts to one part? No, but I mean, to be fair, this is how I cook, so that that part doesn't bother. All right, fine. You know, two cups flour, one part water. Right. All right. One fine. cup water. Um. So okay. In the. So it's just the at this point. Case, wait a second. It's just flour it's and water. It's just flour and, and water, and, and that's it. And air. <laughs> and the air that you've created from your hand. Yeah. Okay. Uh. He wants you to know that beating the batter after mixing it does not materially increase its lightness. It would actually make it worse. So then to bake it, you you make these into like tiny small small loaves like biscuits. Cast iron gem pans or patty pans are most convenient for baking in. The pans should be heated very hot before dropping the batter in. <gasps> wait so a I second. A batter. Wait, 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 wait. You can't put anything in it like no, butter or anything. That. It's going to stick. No. He brings that up. So hang on. So cast iron gem pans, uh, the pan should be heated very hot before dropping the batter in. A very hot oven is required and the gems should be baked in the top first to prevent the escape of the air and steam. Which, so you, essentially you want to like sear them on top and then Ugh. like move them to a lower part of the oven okay. or to a part of the oven that's not as hot, okay. I guess. Because also these weren't like ovens with temperature, right? right? These were like, right, right, right. like wood ovens. Um, the heat should not be sufficient to brown them in less than 15 minutes, and they are better to bake 25 or 30 minutes. A longer time toughens the crust. In order to prevent sticking, many people are in the habit of placing in the pan so large an amount of grease that the biscuits are rather fried than baked. This yeah, that what makes that's what makes them delicious. Uh-huh. This is a most pernicious practice and is wholly useless. To prevent sticking, smear the baking iron with sweet oil or fresh butter. Heat it thoroughly and then carefully wipe away as much as possible. He essentially wants you to, like, season your cast iron. That's what he says. Which is not a bad idea. Um, okay, so then he has the same recipe for with cornmeal called cornmeal gems. And he notes a favorite method with some is to allow the batter to stand overnight after mixing, but it is liable to injury from souring. Oh, God. He wouldn't want okay. that. And then he has a fascinating recipe for snow cake. Whoa. Say more. Which is one part cornmeal and two parts dry snow. <gasps> what? Yeah. And then mix well in a cold room. Bake in gem pans, filling the pans rounded full. Place quickly in a very hot oven. If the cakes are raw or too dry, more snow was required. If they are too heavy, too much snow was used. Which, like, all of this shit is, like, what you would have said about a witch. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> ridiculous it really but it the whole thing does sound like witchcraft though the and why is he okay with using the fucking dirty snow on the ground he's okay with using snow but he's i mean he was in whitest of snow oh god anything white he's anything white so then i i did like the fact that there was a graham cracker recipe in here oh what is it 
It's mix graham flour and cold water into a very stiff dough. <laughs> Knead, like the, that's it. Knead and roll a quarter of an inch or less thick. Cut into any desired form. Prick with a fork to present blistering and bake in a hot oven 15 to 20 minutes. What? What is the difference between graham flour and regular flour? I have no idea. I couldn't bring myself to go. That's fine. <laughs> um, he describes his oatmeal crackers as... These are excellent crackers to eat with mushes of any kinds. What? What is a mush? Does he have recipes for mushes? Yeah, we're about to get Oh, fantastic. So maybe you and I, we have to make a bread and eat it with a mush. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now he has a recipe for dry toast, which I feel like... You are you fucking kidding for. me? And any kind of graham... That's like that goddamn recipe for lemon water. I know. Any kind of graham bread when toasted is an excellent article for dyspeptics. It has several advantages. The most important are, one, it requires sufficient mastication to thoroughly insalivate it. (laughs) Which word is grosser? Mastication or insalivate? The whole sentence is awful. (laughs) Two, it undergoes a change during the process of toasting, which renders it more easy of digestion. It it makes it even more tasteless. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fruit bread and cake. Okay. Here's what he would like to say about fruit bread and cake. I mean, that sounds delicious. Mm -hmm. The contrivances usually designated by these names are the most prolific sources of dyspepsia and bilelessness, of which so many people complain. There are fruit gems, which are exactly his gems, but with some whortleberries, chopped apples, dates, or raisins mixed in. Okay, that sounds like it could be good, though. Sure. (laughs) Uh, And then there's the saddest saddest recipe for strawberry shortcake I've ever seen. Oh my god, please. Make a thin batter of fine oatmeal. Let it stand overnight. In the morning, add an equal quantity of graham flour and grated coconut in the proportion of a teacupful to each quart of flour. (laughs) Bacon gem pans in a quick oven. When cold, cut in halves and cover each half with ripe strawberries. No cream, no sugar. No, what? Raspberries whortleberries blackberries or stewed cranberries may be served in the same way if the fruit is quite sour date sauce may be oh god oh fucking oh yeah awful awful what is date sauce is it just cooked is it stewed dates i would bet that's what it is okay okay puddings Puddings are among the staple articles of diet with hygienists, but they become the cause of much mischief to the digestive apparatus. Oh, no. This is due to the improper manner in which they are eaten. What? Many people, mm-hmm, many people eat pudding very much as they would soup without the slightest attempt at mastication. Don't you fucking ask me to chew a goddamn pudding. Yeah. To obviate this difficulty, some kind of dry food should always be eaten with puddings and soups of all kinds. Oh, my God. So, so you need to have a cracker with your pudding. Now. You can have puddings, a graham cracker with your pudding. Pudding is not what you think. This is not like dessert. Pudding is essentially porridge oh. made from all different kinds of flours. So This like, is the most one, depressing cookbook. Such a depressing cookbook. So God, this is a fucking recipe, downer. Okay. Cornmeal or hasty pudding, which I've actually heard for heard. Now of. wait a second. What they're asking for you to do is to have your grainy porridge. Yeah. 
and to also eat a piece yeah. of bread with this yeah. porridge cracker a cracker you know yeah. i did paleo for a good three years this is the opposite of that. this is the opposite of that yeah and atkins and i feel like this is the anti-atkins i would be so first of all if you can only eat this shit twice a day you would not only be farty i would be the angriest motherfucker on two feet i I would be pissed and hangry every moment of every waking hour there's no protein in this. Okay, so uh, cornmeal or hasty pudding is uh, sift meal, cornmeal, when wanted for use with an oat sieve, thus removing the coarsest of the bran. Stir into boiling water rapidly enough to be able to beat out the lumps which may form before they are cooked. Hard. Why? I feel like at this point I just want a lump. Like an, it gives me extra texture or flavor or something. Ugh. If the meal is fine, make it as thick as desired to be when done. If it is rather coarse, use one part meal to about two and one and a half parts water. Stir frequently until it sets. Then cook gently without stirring for one or two hours. What? I don't know, man. To prevent burning. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What part of the stove where the heat is barely sufficient to keep it simmering? Crazy. Oh, my God. This sounds like Orthodox, like religious Orthodox Shabbos cooking. You want to hear what Christmas pudding is? Oh, I can't wait. Do you put a fucking fig in it? It's so festive. (laughs) It sounds like this is going to be really exciting and joyful. There's two options. Number one, place a layer of partially boiled rice in a deep basin (laughs) or nappy. What the fuck is a nappy? A diaper. Isn't it? A diaper. So why would you... Okay, whatever. We're going to set that aside for a second because I can't... Table it, Your Honor. I can't Uh handle it. Place upon it a layer of sliced apples, raisins, and chopped dates. Add another layer of partially cooked rice and so alternate until the dish is full. Cover and bake half an hour. Berries or fruit of any other kind may be served in the same way. Number two, boil one part pint of pearl barley in five times as much water for five or six hours until the kernels are soft okay to three cups of the barley add two cups of chopped apple one cup of raisins and previously boiled until tender a few currants and a cup of chopped dates the juice of a lemon may be added if desired mix and bake one hour and a half serve warm or cold so this is to mix it up as a treat that's Chris. Can you imagine being a child forced to eat like this? No. That's child okay, abuse. So, so then I got excited because there was a recipe for bread pudding and I was like, oh, maybe this will be okay, but it's not because there's no eggs and no milk allowed. <laughs> so, Do they so just, they're just like, put more water in it. It's fine. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so, soak rusk breadcrumbs or broken bread of any kind until soft in water oh my god broken broken bread it's like broken spirits in water yeah stew dried apples in as little water as possible leaving the pieces unbroken mix with the bread and bake moderately two hours dates may be added if desired but we'll judge you all the fucking live long day for it yeah okay then he has a recipe for wait 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 did we just say then that that bread pudding is bread and apples. Dried apples. Bread and apples. 
That's it. Dried apples stewed, dried bread soaked with water into the oven. (laughs) That's it. Okay. Then he has something that I literally, like, I highlighted it and wrote no. (laughs) (laughs) Something called oatmeal jelly. Ew. I hate this already. (laughs) Soak. (laughs) This is awful. Soak two parts of oatmeal in three parts water overnight. Mm -hmm. In the morning, drain off the water and add to it an equal quantity of hot water. Boil over a quick fire. Stir until it boils. Then moderate the heat and let it simmer 10 minutes and turn into molds. What? Wait. Wait. It will set in a short time and may be served warm in saucers with fruit juice of some kind. Mm-hmm. Did you say mold or into a mold? Into a into molds, but oh, no, not he wouldn't let it. That's mold. why I was like, "What? Wait a second. No, no. So this is like it's just it's the, twice like, baked. Latinized- it's twice baked." No, because it's just the water from the oatmeal. Oh no! It's you've soaked you've soaked water in oatmeal theoretically to like get all of the starch out of the oatmeal. Oh no! And then it like gelatinizes, according to this. Oh no! Yeah, I'm not willing to try this one. You cannot. It's that. essence of oatmeal. It's essence of. Oatmeal. Well, you can't ask. I can't. I certainly can't do that because I had to fucking do the iceberg lettuce soup. And this is the same thing, but for fucking oatmeal. So that's not happening. Yeah. Okay, here's what he has to say about pastry. Oh, don't even call it that. Okay, the chief mischief-making element of the ordinary pie is the crust, which is usually a conglomerate mixture of a very small quantity of superfine flour with lard in abundance, and sometimes with the addition of sour milk, soda, salaritas, etc. Everything that he's saying is making me hungry. I know like he's describing such a the compound. Mm-hmm. Such a compound might very justly inspire dread in the stoutest stomach, to say nothing of a diseased one. So oh. here are some alternatives. Oh God! He suggests an oatmeal pie crust, a potato pie crust, a graham pie crust, and a bean pie crust. Oh. Boil white beans until soft with plenty of water. Rub through a colander or sieve and add sufficient graham flour or cornmeal to make a pretty stiff dough roll out thin. And then what are you going to put in it? That's a pie crust. Oh, so then he has all sorts of options. Apple pies, berry pies, cranberry pie, raspberry and strawberry pie, all in beans. <laughs> Raisin it pie. Beans. But like, but you can't use Sir, any- to call any of these pastry is a disgrace. Well, you can't use any sugar or spices in any of these. So what do you, you do? Is it just it's... straight fruit? It's fruit, and then he, like, mixes it's a little bit of flour. fruit and the spite of the elders. What is yeah, that's a little f- flour? Yeah, a little flour. So his apple crusted <coughs> pie is great sweet apples or a mixture of sweet and sour if preferred. Add and mix one spoonful of dry flour for each pie. Cover a deep pie plate with crust. Add the apples. Cover the top with chopped raisins, dates, or figs. That's it. That sounds horrible. Yeah. Okay, ready for his custard pie recipe? No. What the fuck is he going to make? He can't use any dairy. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Just... Oh, I'm very nervous. A very good substitute for custard pie may be made even without the use of either milk or eggs. No. No. 
No. I need you to breathe because I need to say this sentence. Is it tofu? It can't be tofu. Mm -mm, It's so much worse. Boil Iceland moss in water. Wait. Until it will make a nice jelly. What? (laughs) Wait, like go outside and boil moss? Yeah, I don't. Where does one find moss? What the fuck is Iceland moss? And where does one find that at one's grocer? Iceland. Iceland. What moss? I don't know why. I didn't look it up in the middle of it because it's a fungus. Iceland moss is a lichen whose erect or upright leaf-like habit gives it the appearance of a moss, where its name likely comes from. But it's a lichen. What's a lichen? A fucking moss. Thought is it like a moss? Is it like a moss? It's <laughs> 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 thought to be the very first lichen used as food by humans. So boil Iceland moss in water until it will make a nice jelly. Flavor it with any kind of berry juice, lemon, or grated coconut. I do not use the flavoring extracts to be obtained at the stores, however, as most of them are spurious articles and are sometimes absolutely poisonous, which is probably That is probably true. I take issue with the fact that they call all these things jellies agreed agreed okay okay um i'm skipping over the chapters where he like adds milk and eggs and then judges you for it because right why we don't need to why are we gonna do that don't judge me you don't know my life so then he has a chapter on fruits and they're all just like stewed like fruits stewed in water and like mushed Ugh. um and then he has like sometimes he just defines fruits for people this is not a very abundant fruit it should be cooked according to the directions given for peaches pineapple this is a tropical fruit and is seldom seen here in its perfection so i mean this could all be so here's Here's a recipe for somewhat wise advice. Oh, great. Please. Scald until the skins wrinkle and then peel. Slice thin and stew with a moderate heat for half an hour. Thicken with rusk, graham bread, crumbs, (laughs) pounded crackers, and oatmeal. (laughs) To be eaten with crackers. (laughs) Grated grated green corn, and by that he just means fresh corn, Okay, is another excellent material for thickening. Cook a few minutes longer after adding thickening. Tomatoes are richer if cooked two hours. Two hours? Then it's not stewed tomatoes, then that's sauce at that point. Alright, vegetables! With only one or two exceptions, all vegetables are much richer and more nutritious when served in their own juices. A great amount of nutriment is wasted by cooks who throw away the water in which vegetables have been boiled. Do not add condiment of any kind. Wow. The reason why many dyspeptics cannot eat vegetables without intense suffering is that these otherwise harmless articles of food have been poisoned by the admixture of such irritating and indigestible things as butter, pepper, salt, mustard, etc. Boy. Then he (laughs) explains green corn cream. Oh, no. Okay, equal parts of grated green corn and water strained through a sieve or cloth make a fluid which very much resembles cream and which may be used for many of the purposes for which cream is usually employed. It's fucking cloudy water. It's cloudy, corny water. It's cloudy, corny water. Don't kid yourself. 
It makes a very excellent dressing for puddings, vegetables of various sorts, and even for peaches and similar fruits. Two parts of water to one of corn make a thinner fluid, which might be called green corn milk. Oh, God. Then there's a recipe for green corn white sauce. Place the milk as prepared prepared as directed in the preceding recipe in a saucepan. Can you please let me know, corn, when they say milk, it's in quotation marks, isn't it? No, it is not. Mm. Place the milk prepared as directed in the preceding recipe in a saucepan and stir until it boils. Add sufficient graham flour to make it of the desired thickness and boil five minutes longer. This is an excellent dressing for cabbage, cauliflower, potatoes, and other vegetables. Incorrect, sir. You know, I never thought that there would be a cookbook where I would look back fondly on Jean Nidich's words and be like, God, I miss decadent cooking like that. But guess what? Kellogg, you brought me to the brink, and here we are. I know. So that's basically it. He talks about soups and stews and just talks about how physiological they're objectionable because you don't masticate enough. Oh, God. But, like, the actual recipes. Oh, he does have something called a vegetable oyster soup. Oh, but there are no oysters in it. No, I just wrote a question mark next to it because the whole recipe is slice and boil until tender, thicken with graham flour, and pour over toasted bread or crackers. And I don't like. There's no ingredients. Slice and boil. There's no. There's no ingredients. No. Like what is it? Is a vegetable oyster a thing that I don't know about? I've never heard of such a thing. I mean, I guess we could Google it. Maybe it was really popular in the 1890s. Hey, wait, what about, what happened to the vegetable mush? I mean, that's, we skipped over them because they're all just boiled vegetables mushed up. Well, what are we going to make? I don't think we can make any. Well, we have to. I think it's another thing that we can't. No. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Do you want to hear his problem with water that's too cold? Oh, God, I would love to. That, In fact, that's all that I was missing here. Ice is almost universally depended upon as a means of cooling drinking water in summer. The free use of iced water is harmful for several reasons. One, it is so intensely cold that it often works serious mischief by too suddenly reducing the temperature of the internal organs. Oh, God. Well, also, the fact of the matter is that this man probably weighed like 45 pounds. Because he was only eating... that's probably true. He was only eating two meals a day, and they consisted of milk made from three corn kernels okay so then he talks about preserving fruits and vegetables and like canning is okay drying is okay pickling and salt alcohol or vinegar it's a no-no or saturating with sugar is a no-no eminently unhygienic methods um <laughs> what like what is- like wiping them with your ass and then putting them back in the yeah. fridge i don't know what else could he be talking okay. about okay but you mentioned fridge the fridge and then the next sentence is and this is very cute because this was 1876 refrigeration is an excellent method but it cannot well be practiced on a small scale oh my god that is really (laughs) that is adorable all right Um, here's the deal we're gonna make something do you want to make cornmeal mush like what are we gonna make yeah we could make cornmeal mush or i was thinking we could each make a pie Maybe one of us makes it out of the beans and one of us makes it out of something as disgusting. I don't want to. This sounds like so much work. Well, you, I cannot believe that you are saying that. You ate ketchup pie, my dear. I know, I did eat ketchup pie. You had to recreate an Ikea celery stock. (laughs) I'm 
so angry at all of this, though. Like, I'm angry at him, and I don't want to. Well, how about this? This is what we'll do. Do you want to make the Christmas pudding? Yes, that's what I want to do. I want to make the Christmas pudding. Okay, I'll let you choose which one. Oh, I don't really, I don't much care which. They both sound so festive. They'll both be such a joy. It's funny, I wrote festive next See? Time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, I'm sending you Christmas And pudding. then What do you want me to make? You know what I want you to make? Stewed tomatoes. And I, I want you to make the stewed tomatoes. And not only do I want you to make stewed tomatoes, I want you to enjoy it. Please enjoy with a biscuit, <laughs> a gem. You're going to make the gems. Uh, uh. It'll be stewed tomatoes with with gems on the side. I The gems I don't understand how we're supposed to make because he just describes like a hot oven. Mm-hmm. It's fine. You'll figure it out. You're very crafty in that way. Can I just make the gems no. and not the stewed tomatoes? Why do I have to make two? All right, I guess so. Fine. Just the gems for you, madam. Fine, just, I will make the gems. Just make sure you don't put any, any brown sugar in it. I'm just, because I'm I don't want you to get to the go... grocer's itch. <laughs> Yours will have so much nutrition. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to have to make, like, the cornmeal. I think I'm going to have to make the cornmeal gems, though, because that's the only, like, coarsely ground flour I can think of that's easy. Where's, don't they have graham? Access. I've heard of graham flour. What the fuck is graham flour? I don't, you need to go to a co-op. I'm not, no. <laughs> Follow the patchouli nama. I can't. Today, already, we had a member of Congress hold a black woman up as a prop. I can't go to a place with white people with dreadlocks. All right. That's fine. I've had enough of those people All today. right. Then cornmeal it is. Cornmeal gems for you. No. Listener. This was terrible. I'm sorry. It was so much worse. It was so much worse than I thought it was going to be. It was so culty. He is so awful. I know. He's a terrible man. And yet. But his brother was a mensch. I was going to say. And yet his brother was phenomenal. Eat your cornflakes and enjoy the freedom and enjoy the workers' rights that helped build that cornflake empire. Okay? Okay. All right. I love you and I mean it. Don't put graham flour where it doesn't belong. Particularly up your ass. <laughs> With 15 <laughs> gallons of water. That's no way to get your nutriments, listener. <laughs> Love you, mean it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>